Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Since it's spooky time, we thought we would review one of the spookiest topics in October, ghosts. So ghosts and the paranormal have always been a couple of my favorite topics of discussion. Honestly, I think the first time you and I started speaking, we told each other ghost stories, right? I think that's true. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. It's probably my go-to story. You know how people bond over, I don't know, cars or clothes or whatever. Mine is like, do you like ghosts? I like ghosts. Yeah, it's it's ghosts and crafting. A little, a little twofer. Yeah, yeah. So I love ghosts. I love everything about it. I love the cheesy ghost stories. I love terrible ghost movies. It's just one of my things. So I'm very excited to talk about it today. Something I think to start with is how many people actually believe in ghosts. Because I think it's actually a higher number than I would have assumed before. What about you? I thought it was going to be more than this. I think more people believe than they actually say. Really? Yeah, for sure. Well, that too. People are embarrassed that they believe and they need to get over it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in a 2019 study, 45% of Americans believed in ghosts. Of those polled, more Republicans believed in ghosts rather than Democrats. That's what got me. That's weird to me. I was shook by that. I feel like most are going to identify with the Christian faith. And I think that there's room for ghosts in some denominations of that. And so I think it's something that people have thought about and like came to a decision on whether they believe or not. So I wonder if it was just like they were like, yes or no, like they've gotten there instead of having someone ask them and then be like, oh, this is the first time I've considered it. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's an interesting thing to poll, too, I think. Like, cause yeah. that has nothing to do with either one. Not at all. I, don't know. I was, I looked at it. I was like, <laughs> what? Why are you asking this? Yeah. Very weird. Very weird. So in a 2018 study, 58% agreed that places can be haunted. So maybe they don't live in a particularly haunted place, but maybe they visited one or have lived in one prior. I don't know. This is also a different population of people. So. Mm hmm. I think that when you're looking at your polling people, there's definitely things where I think that you can have a cross section of people and you can get a good feel for where people are. People's beliefs on ghosts, I don't think are, are, are like an easy thing to study and come up with a percentage for. Yeah, yeah. So in a 2018 study, 60% of Americans responded that they have seen or felt a ghost. And then 40% think their pet has seen a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they asked that question. And also, I feel like when I talk to people about ghosts, one of the most common things that I hear is how their pets have reacted to ghosts. Like, oh, I've never seen a ghost, but my dog, Mittens, has definitely seen a ghost. You know Mittens is a cat name. Okay. My dog, Rover. Okay, that's better. Thank you. Classic dog name. <laughs> well, that and I'm surprised they didn't ask about children. Because if you think of any ghost story, most ghost stories, it involves a creepy weird child, right? I mean, for sure. Or an imaginary friend. One of the two. Oh, I, we could have a full episode on my imaginary friend. <laughs> She's terrifying. As a little spoiler, 
her uh, siblings were Dracula and Jack the Ripper. I was younger than five. Yeah, she sounds like a hoot. I was a treasure. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm surprised that that wasn't a question asked. I mean, they're asking about the pets, but, you know, I guess a lot more people aren't having kids nowadays. So maybe that's a... Okay, so alternatively, in 2006, only 20 of those polled thought that they had seen a ghost. So maybe they believe in them, but they haven't personally seen one. 2006 to 2019 is a pretty big gap. And I think that you're getting a lot more people who've probably thought about it more because, I mean, in the last decade alone, how many ghost shows exist now? With the existence of things like YouTube, you don't necessarily have to be in like a production studio Mm -hmm. and working with a network to have a show about ghosts. Now you can just do it on YouTube with your cell phone if you want. (laughs) Okay, so Lindsay, what exactly is a ghost? So per the History Channel, the ghost is an ancient idea that a person's spirit exists separately from his or her body and may continue to exist after that person dies. The way that I think about it is there's your like physical body and there's your soul Mm -hmm. or your energy. Right. And that once your vessel is no more... It's the residue of energy that's floating around afterwards. Floating, walking. Could be your soul, starting fires. Doing all kinds of different things. So some common aspects of haunting are unexplained noises, lights, odors, breezes and temperature shifts, displacement of objects, hearing musical instruments playing when there's no one touching them, and also things that move by themselves generally. So A lot of this is going to sound familiar from our Black Forest episode, right? Like we're talking odors. We're talking our orchestra playing. When I was doing research on like the definition of like general hauntings, when I saw odors, I was like, ah, yes, maybe I'll find more. And I was looking for chemical smells and I was like, maybe I will find something today. And I had like 15 tabs on like ghost odors, which like what must, I don't know, the people in the FBI reviewing my internet search history be thinking about who I am as a person. It's like recipes for cocktails inspired by Halloween, ghost odors. I couldn't find anything on odors that were like not typical, like not the kind of odors right. that you associate with somebody who you know. And normally it's like tobacco because Uncle Louis smoked or like Great Aunt Violet's yeah. rose perfume, like that kind of stuff. It's not necessarily chemical smells, but I guess if someone worked with chemicals, And that's what they smelled like in their lifetime. They could then smell like chemicals, but that would suck if that was your ghost (laughs) scent. I've heard too, as far as odors go, that some people believe that the house or like the place that the haunting is happening can absorb odors for a long period of time. And then depending on like humidity or winds or rain or, you know, whatever's happening outdoors, that it could have the house or the area release that odor again. Oh, That's interesting. So like when it's rainy, it might smell like the rose perfume that somebody wore three decades ago on a similarly rainy day. That's what some people believe. I don't know how accurate that is. I am not versed on home building materials as much as the next person maybe. But it is a theory that that is why certain people can smell that smoke or like a cigar later on or that lavender Hmm. perfume. Mm. That's interesting. As far as things moving by themselves, I will say the first instance of me believing in a ghost is because when I was little, we had a rocking chair. And I swear, no matter, you know, fans turned off, no AC on, it would rock. It would rock all the time. And now I will never own a rocking chair. Fun fact. 
I feel like that would make me want to own rocking chairs because then whenever I was going to move into a new place, I'd bring a rocking chair with me and I'd be like, well, let's see. Are you going to rock? Are we rocking tonight? And then you know that you're either going to not live there or you're going to ask for a discounted price because there's ghosts. I really hope that when you move eventually and you have a realtor that you at least call me like video call me (laughs) when you're telling her, oh, my rocking chair has to come along to check out these houses. Maybe I'll get like a dollhouse one. That's not creepy, right? Like a a tiny dollhouse chair that I just bring around, whip it out of my purse. I will say when we did purchase our home, there was a home that the realtor took us to and I walked in and it checked off every box for me, right? I walked into the living room and I said, I don't need to see more. We need to leave. And she was like, what? I'm like, "Mm -mm. it's a creepy murder house. I can't do it. (laughs) That's fair. So when we were thinking about like the first ghost story or the first time the ghosts were recorded, did you have an idea of when you thought it would be? In my head, I always thought Victorian yeah. era, you know, like the classic rich, pretty woman with all of her friends in front of like, mm-hmm. I don't know, in a big table doing a seance like that. That's always what came to mind for me. But I, I believe it was earlier than that. Yeah. So it was the first century AD. And there was a Roman author and statesman named Pliny the Younger. And so in his letters to his friends and colleagues, he would write about a ghost. And he said that in his home in Athens, there was a specter of an old man with a long beard and rattling chains. Hmm. So, I mean, rattling chains, that makes me think of Black Forest. Remember how we referred to them as very Muppet? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's not so Muppet after all. Or there were Muppets in the first century AD. I mean, probably. So when we were looking up the different definitions for ghosts, one of the things that I came across was a poltergeist. And I think I always had a different idea of how poltergeist was defined. And maybe there's a separate type of definition that's included as well. But I always thought it had to do with like a person's energy and that it was them doing it, not a ghost. And so... The definition for a poltergeist is a noisy spirit, a ghost which makes its presence known by noises. This is per etymaline.com. And so what they talk about is how poltergeist is it's German for noisy ghost. And it comes from the poltern make noise, rattle, and geist, which is ghost. And I never knew that. That makes it sound less scary. It does sound less scary. I think of poltergeist the movie. And you know how like unsettling and crazy and scary that is? Not necessarily like a ghost that just won't shut up. And you know what? To take it back a little bit, I was thinking about it a little bit more when you asked me the when did I think, you know, the idea of ghosts came. Before that, one thing that that every, well, not everybody, but a lot of people discuss is the Bible. Yeah. And it, they're in the Bible too. Just off. Yeah, I was thinking about it more. <laughs> just I, You can't see Amanda, but I can see her. And she had this like sh- like hand under her chin, just dreamy look, just like thinking about ghosts, just like real just in her element. Yeah. So I feel like one of the ways in which we see ghosts now is the comedic ghost of a sheet. Did you see anything on that? I'm like, what, when that started? Yeah, actually, I had always wondered where that came from. And for some reason, I had never actually took the time to look it up. Also, my kid was a ghost last year. I love them. With like 
instead of it just being a sheet, though, we made it super fancy and added, of course, lighting in it to make it super exciting. But yeah, he wanted to be a scary ghost and we made it out of a sheet, but a little, little more exciting. So it was during the medieval period, theaters would portray ghosts in attire from a different period. So like a knight in armor, in a sense, the ghosts were kind of silly because the armor was clunky and they moved slowly. So early directors decided to portray ghosts in white sheets because folks who couldn't afford coffins were buried in white shrouds. Oh, that makes sense. Creepy enough. Dead person in a white shroud equal ghosts, right? Yeah. And I think when you think about like classic ghosts in movies now, when you're thinking of a person, it's the last thing they were wearing. Mm -hmm. Maybe like the white shroud was the last thing they were quote unquote wearing. Yeah. So it just became... You know, when I see someone in a sheet, they're portraying a ghost. That's what a ghost is. They would also have eerie music and they would use light tricks to make it extra creepy. It's funny how they were silly. And as as we progress, like if you look at the progression of like Halloween costumes, ghosts were kind of scary <laughs> before. And then little by little, they became more silly. And now you see people in sheets. I don't know if you've seen this costume, but I see it every year. Someone in a sheet with a bikini over the sheet and they're supposed to be a slutty ghost i just can't like why do we gotta why do we have to do that <laughs> i don't know but that that's like what it's evolved to like that and that's what i see almost every year here so one of the first genres that included ghosts would be gothic fiction so it began in britain in the 18th century and it focused on mysterious, strange, and supernatural. So a, a lot of the theme was that something wasn't right. So like something fell off. And then as the story would unravel, you'd figure it out and have that aha moment in a sense. So as of today, Stephen King it would be considered American Gothic. Oh, that's cool. So just think of his movies or his books. And yeah, I think all of them pretty much have that that same feeling as you watch or read, right? Yeah. Originally, I was looking for like the first ghost story. But one of the things that I found was the first American haunting, which I assumed, I don't know why, that it was going to be in like a metropolitan area. Hmm. But it was actually oh. in Sullivan, Maine in 1799. I would think like slower area without much hustling and bustling. Yeah. So it's funny that you thought busy. I guess I figured like there's more people to see the ghost. Oh, I guess. But plenty of people saw the ghost of Nellie Butler. In September of 1799, Abner Blaisdell heard knocking coming from someplace in the side of his home. And he just kind of shrugged it off at first and like went about his business. Also, we're talking about like the first recorded haunting. So this is not a thing that people are thinking about. Like this isn't even he's probably thinking like there's squirrels right. in my walls. There's wind. It's literally anything. Right. <laughs> So fast forward to the start of the new year in 1800, Abner and his daughter Lydia, who's 15 at the time, they hear a woman's voice and they realize that it's coming from the cellar. And then so they go down and they hear her and she says, I'm the dead wife of Captain George Butler, born Nellie Hooper. Ooh. So Nellie Hooper Butler had died three years prior during childbirth. And so Abner seems shook from the stories that I read. So he sent for her father. His name's David Hooper. And so he was skeptical, but he was also like willing to abandon that skepticism at the possibility of being able 
to communicate with his daughter again. Mm-hmm. And that's the theme that we're going to continue to see as we talk about ghosts is that we talk about it being spooky and scary and all those things. I think that the reason a lot of us believe is because there's somebody who we want to talk to. And we'd like to hope when we're talking to ourselves sometimes or when we smell their perfume that it's them watching over us. Yeah, I guess from what I had read is a lot of people believe in ghosts because it helps them deal with grief of losing a loved one and being able to, yeah, have that final moment that they didn't get or to say, no, I I wasn't actually mad at you. Yeah. Something along those lines. And then also it's a comfort factor knowing that once you die, you're not just gone forever. There's still something left of you. Yeah. Like the biggest question is what happens when we die? And if you feel like you have an answer, it makes living, I feel like, a little easier because you know what's going to happen next. So her father, David, he's a little skeptical, but he walks five miles in a snowstorm to the Blaisdell home just to find out if it's his daughter. After he gets there, he talks to the ghost and he's convinced that it's his daughter. And so... He had, I want to think there was a written account of what he had said afterwards. And he said, she gave us such clear and irresistible tokens of her being in the spirit of my own daughter as gave me no less satisfaction than admiration and delight. I wonder how they like spoke. So it sounds like she's just real chatty because hundreds of people recount seeing her and talking to her. Weird. Yeah. So and it's interesting, like what she says. So. David leaves, and the next day, Nellie appears to Abner's son, Paul, while he's walking through the fields. And Paul, like most people who randomly saw a ghost, he starts running towards his house. And she's floating behind him in pursuit. And then when they get to the house, she starts, like, sassing him for not talking to her. Like, how dare you not talk to me? (laughs) But so she starts to get more and more well-known, and people are going to the Blaisdell home to see her and talk to her. She disappeared for about four months after she talked to Paul. And but people still kept coming to the Blaisdell home wanting to talk to her. So there was about 20 people hanging out in the basement waiting for Nellie to show up when she reappeared. And then so after that point, she only appears in the basement because she says she doesn't want to scare any more children, which I thought was very sweet. By the end of 1800, over 100 people had seen or heard Nellie's ghost. And there's conflicting stories about what she said. So there's two different accounts of what Lydia said in regards to her husband. But everything I read said that she did talk about a lot about religion and that if folks would question her authority to talk on religion, she would get like very angry <laughs> and she would be like, well, how dare you? And would like show them and continue. But so when she's talking about her husband, there's accounts that say, that she was trying to get George, her husband, who's 28, to marry Abner's daughter, Lydia, who was 15, and that she was like very persistent and very adamant about it. And the other account that I hear is that she was mad at George because on her deathbed, he promised her he wouldn't remarry. So those accounts are as far from one another as they could be. <laughs> yeah, that, and it's weird if there's so many people that heard her why would they have such varying stories? They were two different sites that I saw this. So it's possible that there was both, that maybe she was mad at first. And then maybe she was like, marry her, marry Still her, Still interesting marry her. that over 100 people claim to have heard her. Yes. So Lydia and George were married in May of 1800. And the next day, Nellie appears and she tells Lydia that she's going to have one child, but that she's going to die after. <sighs> then Lydia dies in childbirth 10 months later. That's super creepy. Which 
that is the most petty ghost stuff I've ever heard. That she's like, fine, marry him, but you're gonna die. And so, because of this prediction, some people start to wonder if the ghost was a demonic spirit. Other people suggest that it was the Blaisdell family trying to convince George to marry Lydia. And then still said her fate. Yeah, still said her fate. I don't know. That's a weird one. So I don't know if you saw it in your research. I know we were researching ghosts, not necessarily demons. Mm -hmm. However, it, it does come up because a lot of people think of them as one of the same. I don't, but that's that's another topic. But I guess a lot of demonic spirits, from what people believe, is they come to people as women or young children. Oh, because it's like inherently it's, more trustworthy or vulnerable. Is yes, that why? It's very, very rare that it is a man, if not any. I didn't see any. But it says young children and mainly female and then sometimes young women. Hmm. No, I didn't know that. Like, I think I probably assumed it. You don't think about it very much, but you're like, oh, yeah. There is a traveling preacher named Reverend Abraham Cummings who was in Sullivan during this time. And he was very skeptical and he was actually pretty heated about this. So he was like marching his way over to the Blaisdell house to give Abner a piece of his mind when he sees this ghost of Nellie himself. And my first thought about when I read this was like, were traveling preachers this much of a thing? Because I'd never heard about it more than I have in researching for our podcast. I was like, another one? This can't be. Right. I don't trust him. But so, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, I was like, mm. I'm like, do you have a weird confession to right. make? So he sees Nellie and then he's like thoroughly convinced. So he collects 31 accounts from sightings from residents of the town and he writes a book about it. I'm going to take a very long, deep breath before I say this because it's the longest book title I've ever seen. Okay. <laughs> Immortality Proven by the Testimony of Sense, in which is considered doc doctrine of specters and the existence of a particular specter. Yeah, that's the longest book title I've ever seen. Yeah, it's a long one. So Nellie only appears one more time after Reverend Cummings sees her. And it's that following August. And folks were in the Blaisdell Center to hear her talk about religion. Because that's what she had started talking about the most. And somebody had kind of like countered her and said, like, you can't talk about this. So then she like left the Blaisdell house and she's followed by 48 people who were apparently with her. And they go from the Blaisdell house to the neighboring house, which is a couple miles away. And she follows them there. And then she appears in a field like in front of everyone and is never seen again. Weird. It just... I, I'm trying to imagine these 48 people following a ghost to a neighboring house and like what that would have looked like. Okay, it's a little bit eerie to predict someone's death. But aside from this, nobody was scared of her. They were just like, oh, it's odd that Nellie died three years ago and is talking to us now. But it seems like she's got some things to say. So we're going to listen. I, yeah, that that's an interesting way to look at it, too. I didn't even think about how these people were just so accepting of this ghost. How was this done? You know, uh, when I read a ghost story, I'm always skeptical, you know, like, was she still alive? And she just put on some really white makeup and a flowy dress. <laughs> she so she died in childbirth and so did her child. So I don't think that there is like a hoax of her death by any means. Did she have a twin sister? Oh, they didn't cover that. Mm. You cracked it right there. I cracked the you case. Cracked this case wide open. She put on really white makeup, a flowy dress. As one does. Mm -hmm. 
one of the accounts that was in Reverend Cummings' book was from Mary Gordon, who was a resident of the town. And she said, At first, the apparition was a mere mass of light, then grew into personal form, about as tall as myself. We stood in two ranks, about four or five feet apart. Between these ranks, she slowly passed and repassed, so that any of us could have hand- handled her. At least the personal form became shapeless, expanded in every way, and then vanished in a moment. See, that is insane to me because nowadays, of course, you can make that happen with tricks of light. And yeah, we just have so much technology nowadays that can do this. But in 1800, they they didn't have anything like that. I also I think it's interesting because if this was in modern in like today, right? And someone said, my daughter's boyfriend's ex-wife is haunting us. I don't think people will be handling it positively. They might be kind of in all of it and there for like the ghost hunting aspect. But I think that people would, would first question sanity. Yeah, that's true. So as we're chatting about ghosts, we're kind of going through a little bit chronologically. So we started with 1799 with Nellie. And then so next we have the first recorded instance of the witching hour in 1835. Yeah. So a lot of people believe that ghosts come out in the middle of the night. And a lot of even like ghost shows, they're like, we're going to do it at the witching hour. We're going to do it past midnight. And there is a big debate on, you know, when is the witching hour? I've seen the period between like midnight and 3 a.m. Okay, so yeah, a lot of people do believe that it's between 3 and 4 a.m. Because there was a period of time in 1535 where the Catholic Church forbade activities during that time because it was rising concerns of witchcraft in Europe. So they're like, hmm. Mm-mm, that's when witches do things. I don't know. That That's just very strange to me. <laughs> But witch hunts, demonic activity, exorcisms, and rituals have all become intertwined with what is called the witching hour. And you see it everywhere. You see it, like I said, in the the ghost hunting shows. You see it in movies. You see it in pretty much any haunting. Like things happen in the middle of the night. And for some reason, a lot of the the movies will like do a, a clock shot and then that's what it was in my head. And something scary is about to happen. It's, <laughs> you know, the clock turns to 3 a.m. Uh-oh. So a lot of people are afraid of this time of night. So there is a debate as to why. Some believe that the witching hour is the time of night where the veil between life and death is the thinnest, allowing spirits and ghosts to travel. So remember, a traveling train station of ghosts, portals and all of that, that's when it's active. Others believe that witches and psychics are more powerful at this time. Hmm. And it could be maybe that thin veil. Who could know? Some aren't really sure what the witching hour is, but they're just under the assumption that nothing good happens at 3 a.m., which, yeah, I, I, I see that. The number three is often a mockery of the Holy Trinity as well, making it the perfect time to carry out evil. Ooh, I'll calendar that in for my planner. For when I've got evil deeds. Yes. So 3 a.m. You're only doing something bad at 3 a.m. So here's a more logical approach to it. For most people, at 3 a.m., their body is going through the REM cycle. So that's the deepest sleep. That's the rapid eye movement is, I believe, what it's called. And it's when your heart rate slows down, your body temperature drops, 
And then it generally dulls as many functions as possible so that you get the deepest rest. When you awake during that time, when your body is in this REM phase, you feel odd or it feels like a, a jolt to wake up. Hmm. And so that might be also why you wake up and then you immediately look at the clock like, why am I up? What time is it? It's still dark. And then they're like, oh, it's always at 3 a.m. That means something bad. Have you ever had a dream that you were tripping or falling? Mm -hmm. I've heard old wives tales. That means like a ghost is like pushing you. And I have those all of the time. I've heard that or that you are like traveling spiritually and that you were woken up before you had time to come back. Oh, I don't like that because I'm not doing it on purpose. Yeah. If I'm astral projecting, I wouldn't be meaning to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like people that do that, there have been accounts and I can't verify where or specific ones because this is off the top of my head. But there have been accounts where people have haunted places while sleeping with the astral projection. Oh, God, I wish I could do that. And I feel like it's a story that I've known since I was little. But there's a woman who would go to this house and it was like her dream home all the time in the middle of the night. And she'd tell her husband about how much she loved this house. And then they went on vacation and I forget where they went, but they drove by the house. And she goes, oh my gosh, this is the house that I've been dreaming about. It's perfect. It's everything. And and to her husband, it's like, oh, it just matches what she likes in a house or like what she's thought of in the house. And she says, I have to see inside of it. So she talks her husband into knocking on the door. And when they open the door, they gasp because she's the one that's been haunting the house. They got literal chills from that story. That's highly unsettling. It is. Yeah. We used to have slumber parties and we talk about the scariest things that we've heard. And that was one. And I, I swear I've read it somewhere too in a book, but I have a lot of. Good I feel stories, like so I don't know. Uh, tween and teenage Lindsay and Amanda would have gotten along. At my birthday parties, you were like, it's Ouija board time and weird shit would happen. <laughs> but that's for another time. So, <laughs> so when you're thinking in terms of like rituals and trying to commune with ghosts, I don't think anything really connects with that more than spiritualism, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So spiritualism is the belief that the dead can communicate with the living. And it was attractive to many people of all different social classes, more popular with women than with men because women were thought to be more spiritual. And also women were thought to be better spiritual mediums because they had, quote, a better predisposition to spiritual perfectibility. And it was really a fad in America and Europe in the 1850s. What I think of when you describe that is Sarah Winchester. Yes, yes. Like high society gal who's very into it. When I think about spiritualism, like when I was first like researching it, when I've heard it on other podcasts, I really had this like witchy vibe. But it was Norman Rockwell, classic American. So much that Norman Rockwell has a painting of two people with a Ouija board. I love it. And it's just like very cute. Like you could literally take the Ouija board out and put a milkshake with two straws in and it would match so well. Right. Right. Yeah. Their little knees are touching. It's very cute. I would never sit that close to anyone, though, because it looked very uncomfortable. But so spiritualism is thought to have began in 1848 with the Fox sisters in Hydesville, New York. They're both teenagers when they claim that they communicated with the ghost of a man who'd been murdered in their house before they moved in. We're not going to get too much into that. But the account of what they had seen ran in 
different U.S. newspapers, including the New York Tribune and different European publications. Yeah, they didn't have dineinhouse.com back then. They did not, nor did they have Reddit. (laughs) As an additional note, while it wasn't invented during the height of spiritualism, the Ouija board is a product of spiritualism because it made communication with spirits a lot quicker because at one point folks will do the alphabet. They were like A, B, C. And then if there was a knock, they would write that letter down and it would be this grueling process. And because of that, the talking board was invented and was later coined and patented as the Ouija board, which we'll get into more in depth in a later episode, but it's definitely worth mentioning in our spiritualism section. So to give you another visual of spiritualism, Queen Victoria and Prince Albert participated in spiritualist seances. In 1861, Prince Albert died of typhoid. So a 13-year-old, Robert James Lees, had participated in a family seance. So imagine this family seance with, you know, children, I guess. That's just a weird picture to me. Yeah. He passed a message from Albert to Queen Victoria. In the message, he called Queen Victoria by a pet name that only the two of them would have known. Oof. Quick thing about Robert James Lees. He ended up being a pretty well-known spiritualist, medium, preacher, and he ended up being a writer. So he's pretty well known today for a claim that he may have known the identity of Jack the Ripper, which is kind of a weird tie-in to another big rabbit hole. Yeah. What I thought was interesting, too, is so that after he delivered that first message to Queen Victoria, he then was moved into Buckingham Palace so that he could regularly provide messages back and forth between Albert and Queen Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. So they do little seances together. Yeah. So Princess Louise, Queen Victoria's daughter, received messages from her mother through a medium Leslie Flint as well. So it was just very common and normal, it seemed, for for people to communicate in that fashion. Yeah. In America, one of the reasons that spiritualism really picked up was because of the Civil War. From 1861 to 1865, there were approximately 750,000 American casualties to the war. So there were so many men who just never came home. And so everyone they left behind didn't have a sense of closure. And so spiritualism was very attractive. Right. Yeah. Again, it helped them cope. Yes. So one of our first ladies, Mary Todd Lincoln, she would conduct seances in the Red Room in the White House. She lost her mother at a young age, and she also had lost three of her four children, oh my gosh. which hurts my heart so much. And we know that her husband, Abraham Lincoln, was assassinated right in front of her. So it's another case where we're like, of course you want to believe that you can still talk to these people. Right. In 1862, Mary Todd Lincoln and Abraham Lincoln lost their son, Willie, to typhoid. That's when Mary really started to lean into spiritualism. She met a local group of mediums known as the Laris, and she started hosting, as I said before, seances in the Red Room in the White House. They knew that she had at least eight. Oh, wow. And that the president was present for at least a few. Can you imagine just Abraham Lincoln in a seance? That just doesn't... Right? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I mean, they made him a vampire hunter, so I guess he could have been doing anything. Clearly, Mary really believed, but there are records where she said to her sister, Willie lives. He comes to me every night and stands at the foot of my bed with the same sweet, adorable smile that he always has had. He does not always come alone. 
little Eddie is sometimes with him. And little Eddie is her son who died when he was four. And like, oh, that like, yeah. I've read it like six times. <laughs> and every time I like well up because it's just, it's so heartbreaking. It's so, so heartbreaking. But I'm, I'm glad that she felt comforted. So in 65, Abraham Lincoln is assassinated. And interestingly, he's one of the most well-known spirits in the White House. Yes. I've read a lot of accounts of him walking through, you know, a certain room. Yeah. And I always thought that that was really interesting. Yeah. And so he's mainly seen in the Yellow Oval Room and in the Lincoln Bedroom. And he was seen by First Lady Grace Coolidge, Winston Churchill, and Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands. One of the reasons that folks think that he's been seen so often is because he died at a time when spiritualism was very popular and very well known. So the idea that ghosts were sticking around, people wanted to believe that. In 1870, Mary secretly visits a self-proclaimed spirit photographer who'd been accused of fraud. And his name's William Mumler. She asks him to photograph her with her husband. The resulting image is a little haunting. And it shows Mary, she's sitting down and she has all black on. And you can see Abraham's hand on both of her shoulders. And he's kind of like, he has like a white, it almost looks like a gown on. Yeah. He's like washed out. Yeah, he's very washed out, but like it's kind of like someone put white paint over a photo. This didn't just console Mary. This like really helped a lot of people who were grieving the loss of fathers from the Civil War because they thought like if Abraham's looking down on us, maybe our husbands and fathers and brothers are too, which I thought was just really interesting that like she probably was like, I just want to see my husband. And then... She helped some other people grieve as well through that. So we have spiritualism. And I mean, I think elements of spiritualism still exist today. They certainly aren't mainstream in the way that they once were. But I think after this, there begins to be a a more of a shift to using science to prove ghostly activity rather than focusing solely on mediums. Agreed. Yeah, it did kind of shift in a way. So in 1882, the most prominent organization, the Society for Psychical Research, was established. And there was a woman who was named Eleanor Sidwick. And she was an investigator and then later also the president of the research society. And she could be considered the first female Ghostbuster. The first article I found about her was actually she was brought up because the new Ghostbusters movie had an all-female cast. And they were like, actually, the first female Ghostbuster was her. It looks like she just did a lot of really cool stuff. She dedicated most of her life to science education and had a very big interest in the paranormal. She also helped expose fraudulent activity on some of the self-proclaimed psychics, ghost summoners, mystics, and all of that. So she kind of was like the, the person that would go and investigate and be like, nope, they're up to no good. This one's... This one's legit, though. <laughs> yeah. I, li- I mean, I like that, though. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole book from what I saw. One of her friends wrote, and it included a lot about her life and just how she led the way in a lot of different ways for women. Yeah. One of which being at, at 35, she was actually the vice principal of Newnham College in Cambridge. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, she did ghost investigations. She had a lot to do with math and science. And back then, you really didn't see a lot of women in that role. So in in 1901, Duncan McDougall had an experiment where he took people who were dying 
placed their beds on a scale, and then as they died, continued to weigh them to see if there was a difference. And what he was trying to do is see if he can measure the soul leaving the body. And I guess the experiment showed that one of the people who passed, there was a difference of about 21 grams in the weight. If someone weighs me on my deathbed, I swear to fucking God, I will haunt them for eternity. Because that is the most disrespectful thing I could think of. Like, don't you dare fat shame me when I'm dying. <laughs> yes. I don't 1, want it. Percent. I don't want it. Absolutely. Well, and I I didn't want to look into him too much because I feel like I could probably rant about his weird experiments all day. But yeah, his goal was to to basically weigh the soul and watch it leave the body. And then he tried it on dogs, which I'm like, first off. How dare you? What was he doing to these dogs? And he believed that dogs did not have souls. And I'm like, if anything has a soul, a dog has a soul. You know, like if anything does get one, yeah, dogs get them first. And he he claimed dogs didn't have souls. And I was like, over, over. I'm done with you. Um, <laughs> from from what some of the where where I found his uh, name was actually on a YouTube video. And when they they were kind of looking into it, they said it was likely sweat. And the reason is because people can sweat, right, in, in various parts of their body. That that makes sense, as, especially as you're dying. Who knows what they yeah. were dying of? But a dog, they pant. They don't sweat. So they didn't lose any. Oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. hmm. But still, if anything gets a soul, dogs get them first. Yeah, they do. They're first in line. And all dogs do go to heaven. For sure. So let's bring it to today now, right? So how do people ghost hunt today? There are various websites and stores and all kinds of fun stuff that that sell modern tools for ghost hunting. I got a lot of this off of my favorite store because I actually shop there and it's called Ghost Stop. <laughs> and Ghost Stop has all like the basic tools that, you know, anyone that ever wanted to get into ghost hunting could just easily purchase. And personally, I own all of these. So I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so EVPs are electronic voice phenomena. And you can take honestly any audio recorder. And basically, you can ask questions and then play it back, put it in an audio program, see if anything comes back. Now, something that I brought up on one of the last episodes is when when doing an EVP, a lot of these ghost hunting shows are holding it. And when they're holding it, it's rubbing against their arm or their clothing or whatever. And it's not always what they think it is because their arm is hitting it. It is very sensitive and it should be placed on the floor or on an object that isn't moving. And typically that's where I'm going to say, okay, maybe that, that could be something. I don't know. It's also there's the very commonly used EMF reader. And what that does is it measures fluctuations and electromagnetic fields. Basically, the, the theory is that the ghosts have the ability to manipulate these fields. Now, they're pretty cool. I mean, you mind beeps like it goes crazy. However, they can be interfered with very easily. So just because it goes off, it doesn't mean, oh my gosh, something's here. It also can mean there's some wiring in a wall, something as simple as that. So I, I, don't, I don't use it as often, but... It is kind of a cool thing, especially if you're in like a really, really old building without anything. And you're like, in the middle of yeah. this hallway, why is it going off? And you can't replicate it all the time. Sure. 
Well, another thing is thermal cameras and thermometers. And I talked about this on the Black Forest Haunting because that's what sightings had used is a thermal camera. And all it does is it measures temperature changes. So even a simple thermometer, like a laser thermometer, works too. But if you want to visually see what's going on and see the visual changes in temperatures, then you'll want the camera. And they just say one way or another that ghosts can change the temperatures in the environment. So another pretty common tool, or I guess two tools, is ghost boxes and spirit boxes. And and both are like little um little devices that basically use radio waves to help a ghost speak. Hmm. It uses radio frequencies. That makes me think of two things. The first is a police scanner, but it has ghosts and it's for Ghostbusters, like Eleanor that we discussed earlier. And then the second is it makes me think of Bumblebee <laughs> from Transformers and how he would use like snips of songs. Yes, that's actually a perfect way to describe it. So I have what's called the S-Box Ghost Box plus recorder is the one that I have. Oh. It's a very basic like intro one. It's not nothing too fancy. But I did take it to the Queen Mary last year, year before. And on the top deck, it said something twice in a row, just a little skewed. So the first time it said, look at the lights. Mm. And I'm like, look at the lights. I was with a couple of other people and we repeated it. And then after probably a minute or so, it said, look at the pretty lights. But because it's scanning, it's different voices each time it said it. It's, you know, it's a different frequency. That feels like too specific to have it be not the same thing. Right. So it it totally could be just a weird coincidence. But I will say from the top of the Queen Mary, you can see the boardwalk. And when we were there, there was like a music festival, too. So it was a little more busy on the boardwalk. And it it did look really pretty at night. It was like middle of the night that we were up there, I'd say probably 2 a.m. or so. And yeah, it's just super interesting. I loved it. And if anyone ever can go and look at the Queen Mary or visit it, I highly recommend staying because it is fantastic. Where is it? Long Beach, California. Okay. It's not terribly far from me, at least, but it is just so cool to see. It's been used for various different things. There's a lot of unfortunate things that happened, a lot of really cool things that happened with the Queen Mary. There's a lot of different tours you can take. And I will say there were several areas that really did creep me out when we were there. Oh, that's cool. So there's so many theories on what ghosts are and how to find them and where they'll be and where there's not. But there's also a ton of theories on how to debunk ghosts and how to just explain it away. And so we we have a few that we're going to discuss that were kind of salient to us that we thought were pretty interesting, but this is by no means an exhaustive list. So one of the most common ones is sleep paralysis. And again, this could happen in the witching hour. A lot of people think so. But about 30 to 40% of people experience it at least once in their life. It's best described by a neuroscientist named Balan Jalal, and he described it as dreaming with your eyes open. There's been many studies on it. And why we believe it happens is our most of our realistic dreams happen during REM or rapid eye movement sleep cycle, right? And in the stage, your eyes move around under your eyelids, but the rest of your body can't move. It's pretty much paralyzed. So it stops people from acting out whatever weird dream they're having. You don't want to be, you know, swimming in your dream and hitting your partner, right? 
sometimes when you wake up and the paralysis didn't stop yet, you're kind of in this weird in between. And I guess a lot of people still see very odd things or shadows or what they believe might be ghosts, demons, all kinds of crazy things. But it's just like this weird in-between area between deep sleep and being awake. If you follow a schedule where you're awake in the day and asleep at night, then that means that your REM cycle is likely going to be during the witching hour, right? Yes. So, I mean, just because there is a scientific explanation doesn't exclude a non-scientific explanation, though, right? In my opinion, yeah. I mean, there just because that happens during that time and it's more likely, not everyone is you know, going through sleep paralysis. And again, they said 30 to 40% of people experience at least once. That's still not every single person, you know? Yeah. I sleep with my eyes open like a real fucking weirdo. And (laughs) it's terrifying. (laughs) I say it's terrifying only from the accounts of others because I'm clearly asleep. No, no, thank you. I don't even like when my dogs do that. I like wake them up and make them fall asleep again. Uh, I don't I don't know if Ben's ever seen it. Maybe he has. I'm not sure. But like I'll wake up and my eyes will be so dry and I can tell that I've been sleeping with my eyes open. But I know that I did it as a kid. And again, I just want to point out as a child, I was a treasure. (laughs) (laughs) And your your Furby eyes are great. (laughs) Oh, yeah. If I when I smile, my eyes look like the mouth of a Furby. So there you go. Happy Halloween, (laughs) y'all. I sent you the image that I have on Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah, you did. And I laughed for like five minutes. It's just there and ready. It's just I want people to know that when I say that, I 100% mean it. It's not me just having like self-deprecating humor. It's real. My eyes look like a furby mouth when I laugh. Who, <laughs> <laughs> Out of everything in the entire world, who goes to furby? You don't talk about like for a reason, like your daily life and how like compare things to them. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, me neither. Cool, cool. I, I mean, I told you I have a Furby that lives in my cabinet <laughs> in my kitchen. There's this TikTok creator that I'm like low key obsessed with, and it's called Long Furby, and it's just so weird, and I love it. And I just you can't be sad when you're looking at a weird Long Furby video. Anywho, no. Let's talk about uh, hallucinations. Now, some people think that ghosts are just hallucinations. When I think hallucinations, I think of visual hallucinations, but that's not the only way someone can hallucinate. You can hallucinate with your other senses. So you could feel like your phone buzz and then it actually didn't buzz, but you just kind of hallucinated it. Yeah. You can also have um, auditory hallucinations where you just hear something and you can just smell something that isn't there. All of this to say that you could have thought you saw something that doesn't mean you did or it means that you did, but it wasn't real. Right. Or I know that there was this weird in in my uh, journey of looking this up, there was a weird video that came up and there was a uh, a group of people and they were passing a basketball to each mm-hmm. other and you were supposed to focus on how many passes there were in this video, Mm -hmm. right? So you're sitting there and you're staring at the ball the whole time. Well, at the end of the video, they're like, did you see the gorilla? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I saw like this like mascot looking thing walk by. And I was just thought, I thought it was the mascot of whatever basketball team or something, you know, like maybe it was at the school, who knows. But I guess many people don't see the gorilla. 
because they're so focused on the ball that they don't see something that happened in front of them. So your mind ignores it, right? Yeah. But in it, let's flip that around. Let's say they're they're focusing on something like that where they're like something weird's happening, but they don't give their mind enough time or they don't analyze the situation more to give it a reason for that weird thing to happen. Exactly. We and we talked about this last time too. Is like I think that different people, depending on what they grew up and how they grew up with things, they're more or less likely to believe in the existence of the paranormal or something that seems like a far-fetched conspiracy based on what's been real in their life, right? Like, mm-hmm. for you, gorilla mascots, real in your life, you're seeing them walk by. But other people, they're so engrossed in the sport that maybe they don't even care about a mascot. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, I mean, it definitely, like, gave perspective that a lot of people don't notice it. And because I said it, I'm sure you're going to be, like, looking for it. But maybe show it to, like, Benji and I'll show it to Mike and we'll see if they notice it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. So another thing is pareidolia. And that's the tendency to see faces in random things. So, for instance, if you see happy faces or, or faces on, like, cars, right? Or bricks or things like that. Uh, another example would be when you're looking at clouds and you, you see shapes in the clouds or people in the clouds. So it's, it's your brain's picture of reality, but sometimes you're seeing things that aren't necessarily there and, and putting something on top of it. Hmm. And then also sometimes you may miss something that's there because you have your attention focused elsewhere. So it's called inattentional blindness and it's sometimes you don't notice how or why something happened but it's because you were paying attention to something different so kind of like i said that that video right you're focusing on the ball but you're not focusing on the weird gorilla man walking behind them because it's hard to focus and keep something in your memory as you're focusing on it And then something in the background is changing. You may not see what it is, or maybe you'll see a little bit of it and you'll perceive it to be a ghost or something unexplainable. Hmm. So there's that like, say you're like watching a show and you're really into it and you know that you had put the remote control next to you, but then someone who lives with you picks up the remote and like they're about to change the channel and they don't. So they put it on a table nearby. Yeah. And you didn't even know they did that because you were into your show. Right. But all you know is that the remote was once next to you and now it's at a table across the room. Like that kind of thing. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Or better yet, if that person went to change the TV, right? But then, mm-hmm. I don't know, got a text or something and put it down in a weird area. But they blocked that out because they were reading the text. And then for both of you not knowing how that remote got there. Ooh. Ooh. So like, so it can happen to like you doing an action as well. Yes. Kind of like you're driving and you're like, la, 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 I'm on my way to work. And you don't necessarily remember the whole drive. Mm-hmm. But you know that like you drove there because you drove there. Right. Right. Back in a time when that was a thing everyone did. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's what you pay attention to and other things could be happening around you and you may just not remember it because you don't have as much of your attention focused on that one item. So you're missing a sensory cue of some sort. Hmm. So I'm sure that happens way more than we want to believe it does. Absolutely. So I feel like it's so easy to get distracted, especially now with the way the technology is and it can suck you in. So there was a study done where the scientists made this weird robot thing, right? 
And these people got to almost, it, from what I interpret, it looked like it was like a joystick in a way, like they got to move this joystick around. And what the joystick actually did was it moved something behind them that think of like a robot finger kind of that could like poke them, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or move on their back. And so as they moved the joystick, it wasn't happening real time. It had a little bit of a delay. And even though these people knew that they they were moving it, they felt like it was something else. Mm. So I look from I, I only saw brief like glimpses of it in a video like they kind of show a little bit of these like blindfolded people so i guess i don't really know if they knew it was them moving it but when they'd move it it had that delay and then they'd feel it behind them and they felt like oh my gosh this is just like unsettling some of the people wanted to stop the the study because it kind of freaked them out another thing that was discussed is a sound wave and there are different, obviously, frequencies and different types of sounds, right? But there's something called infrasound, and it's very, very low. Infrasound has the ability of pretty much like vibrating your body is the best way I can describe it. And it can create unsettling feelings. So some people can feel depressed. Some people can feel anxious. Just many, many different feelings, right? And there have been reports in like factories and in other work settings where people were like, mm, I just feel weird at work, or I don't know, I don't like the the feeling that I have when I'm here. And I guess once they turned off some industrial fans, the feelings virtually went away. So they're wondering if maybe sometimes it can be an environmental huh. sound wave, in a sense, that is making people feel like, oh, I'm unsettled, or oh, I feel like I'm being watched. And it's like that feeling of anxiety and stress and depression and all of that fun stuff that could be happening because of something in the environment. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So I I mean, I've worked at places where I'm like, oh, I don't like being here alone or I don't want to walk through that dark hallway. And I wonder if maybe, you know, maybe it was just something weird like a fan, you know? Yeah. Hmm. I wonder situations where people have felt infrasound and they've had a negative experience, if then when they encounter infrasound in the future, if they'll feel that same similar negative experience. So regardless of whether, you know, maybe not the infrasound making you scared, sad, apprehensive, et cetera, maybe it's what you've associated with that vibration. Hey, that that actually could be a thing, you know, like maybe once it's happening again, your body like remembers the feelings right away and is like, oh, it's weird. Yeah. So ghosts are popular. I feel like in almost every realm, right? We've got ghost novels. We've got books. We've got television shows. We've got reality television shows. We've got fiction. We've got podcasts. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure there's music about ghosts. I think every type of media that we could have, there's a ghost something or other about it. And I do you find that fascinating? Because I really do. But I also think it's interesting knowing that there was once a time when like talking to ghosts was a wholesome activity. So there's also we we talked about it in our last episode that, you know, when sightings in the 90s was popular, it was kind of by itself in that realm. But now there's tons and tons of shows on ghost hunting, especially after ghost hunters. Yeah. Ghost hunters showed that anyone could be a ghost hunter. Remember, they had I want to say they were like plumbers. Are there any like, ghost shows that you really like now? It's been a minute since I've watched some. So 
I, I love every cheesy ghost show and I love the cheesy reenactment ones. Oh, my fave. And I don't know why. And I, I loved when American Horror Story took that in Roanoke and kind of redid it, too. Yeah. And then as stupid as it sounds, because I know it's completely ridiculous, but I laugh every time I watch it, is the BuzzFeed <laughs> Unsolved guys. I love watching them. And no matter where they're going, I, today I even watched the one where they went to the Winchester and to the Sally House and Doll Island. And it's just hilarious. So if you've never watched it, I highly recommend it. One, I think that one of the things that makes ghost hunting and ghosts a little bit more interesting and keeps it in the forefront of media is the fact that there are ghost tours attractions where you can go on ghost tours or you can go you know look for ghosts or you can do ghost hunting or you can read out the history of the place and little plaques and stuff like that right as we were talking about the Velisca axe murder house like that's one of the places that people do say is haunted i don't know if they give specific ghost tours but they talk about the spirits i'm pretty sure yeah yeah for sure also, I think the commercial availability of ghost hunting equipment makes ghost hunting something that's much more accessible to like the average person. And as you had found in your in your journey of research, you can get a paranormal science degree. You can become a PhD student for I think like four thousand dollars. I don't know about you, but I feel like it's totally worth it. I know it's not like credited. I want to be a doctor of the paranormal so freaking bad. With all of that, what do you believe? Do you believe ghosts are real or do you not believe in them? Okay, so here's the thing. Yes, I do believe they're real. Do I believe that every person who thinks they saw a ghost saw a ghost? No, I do not. I also believe in reincarnation, which is which seems like it might be a little bit at odds with the idea of ghosts, but I have like a very complicated set of beliefs. And I think that like perhaps when you're ready to move on, you do. And that's when you're reincarnated. That's fair. So... Yeah, I mean, like, I've had very real experiences with ghosts. I do think that certainly they exist. And, you know, do I require the most stringent of scientific proof to prove that? No, I don't. Because, you know, my experiences for me are enough. I, I think that's fair to say. Because even with how technology has moved us along today, things that we know are true today, 20, 30, 40 years ago, they weren't even, they weren't documented. They weren't confirmed. Just because we don't know or have proof right this moment doesn't mean that in 20 years from now, there won't be proof available. Yeah. As always, we would love to hear your opinions on whether ghosts are real or not. If you have any good ghost stories, feel free to share them with us. Maybe we'll include them on a later episode. Happy spooky season. And we're excited to have more creepy stories coming up. We release episodes every Friday, so we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps.